come and captured your city? Have they never come and destroyed your walls, broke down your pillars, smashed your vessels, enslaved your men, arrested your king, and slaughtered his own very sons right before his own very eyes? Had the Babylonians never come, things would have been much, much different. Prophets and priests would not have been slaughtered and killed in the sanctuary of the Lord. Infants and babies would not have starved and fainted in the streets. Men would not have begun to prepare bread on human dung. Women would not have begun to boil their own flesh and blood. Men who once feasted on delicacies would not have perished in the streets. Those who were once clothed with fine purple garments would not have embraced ash heaps had the Babylonians never come. Had they never come, your beautiful, beloved city of Zion would not be lying in ruins. Had these Babylonians never come, your precious city wouldn't be scattered with dead bodies, bones, and ashes. And as you think about all of this devastation, you begin to weep bitterly. And as you weep, the very ones who have caused you to weep, the very ones who have caused this tremendous amount of grief to you, begin to mock you. They ridicule you. They deride you. They rub salt on your wombs and they cry out, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Sing to us about the good old days. Sing to one of us one of those wonderful, wonderful songs that that talk about how great things used to be. Sing to us one of these songs. And as they mock you, you cry back, How shall we sing the Lord's song? In a foreign land. How shall I do such a thing to my God? Psalm 137, starting in verse 4, the psalmist says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. This is the psalm. This is the lament. This is the cry of a man whose heart was broken. This is the psalm. This is the cry This is the lament of a man whose life has been shattered to pieces. This is the psalm of a man who completely, totally, wholly, and unequivocally poured his heart out to God. The psalmist was raw. The psalmist did not hold anything back. Here in this passage, the psalmist told the Lord of all creation exactly how he felt. He was completely transparent to his God. And as savage, as cruel, 
and perhaps heartless as his desire was for his enemy, Lord, blessed is the man who takes the Babylonians' children and dashes them against the rocks. As cruel and as unusual as that may seem, and whether it was right or whether it was wrong, is beyond us today. What we should be most concerned about this morning is the simple fact that in his moment of grief, while the psalmist was weeping by the waters of Babylon, as a man, as a fallible human being, the psalmist handled his grief in the best way possible. While he was weeping by the waters, while he was grieving, while he was upset, while he was a captive in Babylon, the psalmist refused to submit to his enemy. He refused to submit. Here in this passage, his enemy says, sing to us one of the songs of Babylon. Sing to us about the good old days. Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. In Psalm 48, in Psalm 48, we have a record of one of the songs of Zion. Psalm 48, starting in verse 1, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Verse 11. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. In Psalm 137, those Babylonian captors were commanding that the Jews sing such a song. Sing such a song about the joy, the jubilation, the greatness of Zion that is now lying in ruins. Those Babylonian captors were not asking these Jews to sing this song because they respected Jewish customs and practices. Those Babylonian captors were not asking those Jews to sing such a song because they felt as if doing so would give the Jews some type of joy and satisfaction. No, they didn't ask them to sing these songs because they cared about them. They asked these Jews to sing such a song so that they could ridicule them, so that they could mock them, and so that they could degrade their God, the God of all creation. And so when asked to do such a thing, the psalmist says, how shall I do this? I will not do such a thing to my God. I will not show this irreverence and this ungodliness towards the God of all creation. Though I am a captive, though I have been stripped from my homeland, though I am grieving, though my life is in the pits, I will refuse to submit. I will not sing such a song. I will continue to worship my God. I will continue to praise my God. I will continue to revere my God. I will continue to respect my God even when I am in the pits. I refuse to submit. Though he wept by the waters, though he grieved, 
the psalmist handled his grief in the best way possible. He refused to submit to his enemy, and he remembered his roots. He remembered where he came from. In Psalm 137, Psalm 137 and verse number 5, the psalmist says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. He's been snatched from his friends. He's been snatched from his family. He's been snatched from everything that makes him him. He's been carried into a foreign land, forced to learn new laws, new customs, and new practices, forced to learn a new language, perhaps even had his name changed. Everything is different. He is in the pits. He's weeping by the waters of Babylon. But though he weeps, though he is upset, though he is grieving, he has not forgotten his roots. He has not forgotten Jerusalem. If I forget Jerusalem, O Lord, O Lord, if I forget Jerusalem, may my hand, my right hand, the hand that used to pluck the harp, forget its skill. Lord, if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget my roots, if I forgot where I came from, may my tongue, the tongue that used to praise you, be stuck to the roof of my mouth. If I forget my roots, if I forget where I came from, may my life be as nothing. Though the psalmist was in a very, very difficult situation, though his life was in the pits, though he grieved, though he wept beside the waters of Babylon, he handled his grief, he handled his pain, and he handled his suffering in the best way possible. He remembered his roots. But not only that, as he wept beside the waters, he remembered who was in control. He remembered that God was in control. The text continues to say in Psalm 137, starting in verse number 7, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. In this latter half of Psalm 137, the psalmist recalls to mind exactly how he and his people got to this situation. The psalmist recalls to mind how their distant cousins, the Edomites, sat back and did absolutely nothing when these Babylonians came in and raided their city. The Edomites not only did nothing to help, but they encouraged the Babylonians to destroy the city. They said, lay it bare, lay it bare, seize the city down to its foundations. The Edomites encouraged the Babylonians to completely destroy and wipe out their own flesh and blood. And so here in the latter half of this text, the psalmist is recalling this to mind. And he pronounces a blessing upon the one who destroys the Edomites and on the one who takes the Babylonians' little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Though savage, though cruel though perhaps even heartless, in spite of all of this, 
the psalmist recognized that he was not the administrator of justice. The psalmist recognized that this matter was not in his hands. The psalmist recognized that he was not in control. Though he wanted Edom to be destroyed, though he wanted the Babylonians to be destroyed, he recognized that he was not the man to do it. The text says in Psalm 137 and verse 7, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. Lord, it is you who is against the Edomites, not me. Psalm 137 and verse 8. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you. Lord, you will send someone to repay the Edomites, not me. Blessed shall he be, not I. Psalm 137 and verse number 9. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. I won't do it, but someone else will. The psalmist recognized that God was in control in spite of his heartbreak, in spite of his grief, in spite of his agony, and in spite of his loss. While he wept by the waters of Babylon, the psalmist handled his grief in the best way possible. He refused to submit to his enemy. He remembered where he came from. And he remembered who was in control. Today is March the 17th, 2019. And all of us, just like the psalmist, have wept beside the waters. No no, no one has, has, has come in and raided our beautiful, beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee and, and smashed our little ones against the rocks. No, that hasn't happened to us. But many of us here this morning know exactly what it feels like to lose your little ones, to lose your children, both physically and perhaps spiritually. No... No, no one has come into Spring Hill, Tennessee and drug us out of our homes and stripped us from our friends and stripped us from our family members and stripped us from everything that makes us us. No, that hasn't happened to us. But many of us here this morning know what it feels like to lose our jobs, to lose our possessions, to bury our friends, to bury our family members. Many of us here this morning know what it feels like to suffer loss, to be without, to be separated from those who we love. No, no, no one has come into our beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee and has forced us to move to a foreign country and has enslaved us. No, that hasn't happened. But all of us here this morning know exactly what it feels like to be slaves of sin. All of us here this morning know exactly what it feels like to be bound and held captive by sin, Satan, and death. Every last one of us know what that feels like. No. None of us have ever been to Babylon. But all of us have wept beside the waters 
of Babylon. All of us know what it feels like to be hopeless, to be helpless, and to be lost. And so this morning we ask ourselves, how? How do I handle my grief when I find myself weeping beside the waters? How do I wake up every morning and go to school and go to work and and come here on Sunday mornings and praise the Lord and glorify the Lord with the people of God? How do I get up every morning while I'm weeping beside the waters? How can I do that? How can I handle my grief as a man, as a fallible human being in the best way possible? How? We look to the example of the psalmist. While we weep beside the waters, we too must refuse to submit to the enemy. The psalmist refused to submit to the enemy, and we must refuse to submit to him. We must resist our enemy, that is, the devil. And though he is more crafty, though he is more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord had made, as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 clearly states, though that is who Satan is, He can be resisted. How can he be resisted? Look to the example of Job. Job was a man who the Bible describes as blameless, upright, one who feared God and one who turned away from evil. But despite how good of a man Job was, he was put to the test. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was among them. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's a blameless man. He's upright. He fears men. He turns away from evil. Satan says, does Job fear you for no reason? Uh, You've put a hedge around him. You've blessed the work of his hands. His wealth has increased in the land. I bet you, I bet you, if you take away all that Job has, he will curse you to your face. God says, okay, Satan, we'll see. I will allow you to test Job. I will allow you to inflict him. Just don't take away his life. Okay, Satan says, all right. Satan goes away. He, he, he destroys Job's livestock. He destroys his possessions. He destroys his children. Everything that Job has is taken away in the blink of an eye. And when this happens, the Bible says that Job fell on his face. He shaved his head. And he worshiped the Lord, crying out, Naked I came into this world, naked I shall return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, the text says, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In Job chapter 2, the text says, again, after all of that former tragedy struck Job, the text says, again, There came a day when the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord and Satan was among them. God says, as you've considered my servant Job, he has still held fast to his integrity, even though you have cited me against him. Satan says, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But if you take away his health, he'll curse you to your face. Satan says, okay. And he inflicts Job with these loathsome sores from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. Job is scraping himself with pottery. His wife says, why do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job says in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women should speak. Shall we not receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? With all of this, through all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. The point that I'm trying to make is... 
When Satan attacked Job, when Job was in a very desperate, a very dismal, and a very hopeless situation, when he was essentially weeping beside the waters, he refused to submit to Satan by remembering, by remembering the God who gives him everything. God brought me into this world. God gave me life. God has clothed me. God has blessed me with all of these possessions. God has blessed me with children. God has blessed me with a family. And even if it is all taken away, I will still honor him. Job refused to submit to his enemy by remembering the giver of all things good. And the only way that we can refuse to submit to the enemy while we are weeping beside the waters of Babylon is by remembering the giver of all things good. It is God who brought us into this world. It is God who has given us breath. It is God who has given us life. It is God who has given us health. It is God who has put the clothes on our back. It is God who puts the food on the table. It is God who blesses us with all things good. And when we are grieving, when we are weeping, when we are hurt, when we are upset, remember that fact. That is how we resist the devil. Jesus resisted the devil in Matthew chapter 4 when the Spirit led him up on the mountain to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was in a very, very uh, hopeless and, and helpless situation. He was hungry. He had gone with 40 days without food. Satan tries to, to, tries to slip him up. Jesus turned these stones into bread. No, Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan says, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and allow the angels to lift you up. Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third time, Satan says, fall down on your face and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Worship me and I'll give you everything. Jesus says, it is written, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. How did Jesus resist the devil? How did Jesus refuse to submit to his enemy? He resisted the devil. He refused to submit to his enemy by remembering the words of God. If we want to resist the devil, if we want to refuse to submit to the devil, while we're in a very weak and in a very vulnerable situation, just as the psalmist was, just as Job was, and just as Jesus was in Matthew chapter 4, then we are going to remember the words of God. Remember the words of God that are sharper, that are more powerful than any two-edged sword that pierce to the division of the soul, spirit, and the joints, and of marrow. That is a very, very powerful tool that we must use to resist the devil and refuse to submit to the enemy. We have to. We have to. The Apostle Peter, a man who too was sifted by Satan, resisted Satan by being sober-minded, and watchful. And he warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 through 9 that our adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And if we want to resist him, then we must remember the giver of all things good, recall scripture, and be sober-minded and be watchful in our moment of grief while we weep beside the waters of Babylon. But not only that, While we weep, we must remember our roots. 
While he wept in Psalm 137, the psalmist remembered his roots. He remembered where he came from. He remembered Jerusalem. While we weep, we must remember our roots. Remember who we are. Remember what God has brought us out of into. Remember what God has done for us. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4 that when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son into this earth born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they would be sons and daughters of God. And so, since God did this, since He sent His Son to this earth to make us children of God, He has sent the Spirit of His only begotten Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father! And because He has done this, We are no longer slaves of sin and death, but we are sons and daughters of God, heirs to the promise of God. This is what God has done for us. This is where we have come from. This is who we are. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. We are a people for the Lord's own possession. We are a people who have been called out of darkness into the Lord's marvelous light. Peter says we were once not a people, but guess what? Now we are God's people. When we weep, when we grieve, when we are mourning, when we are upset, when our life is in shambles, remember this. Remember where we came from. Remember where we came from. And remember where we are going. Not only that, third and finally, while we weep, we must remember that God is in control. The psalmist in Psalm 137 remembered that God was in control. Yes, yes, he wanted the Edomites destroyed. Yes, he wanted someone to to dash the, the Babylonians' children against the walls. Yes, that was his desire for them. But he recognized that he wasn't the man to do it. He recognized that all things were in the control and in the power of God. And while we weep beside the waters, when life is very, very difficult, and when life is very, very hard, we must remember that God is in control. If we want to be comforted in our hour of grief, we must remember the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, who comforts us in our affliction. Remember this God. Remember this God who spoke the world into existence. Remember this God who stretched out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent for us to dwell in. Remember this great and powerful God who laid the foundations of the earth, who laid the cornerstone of the earth when all of the sons of God sang together and the shouted for joy. Remember this God. Remember the God who rides on the winds and makes the clouds His chariot. Remember this great, awesome, and powerful God who holds all power in His unchanging hand. Remember this when we grieve. Remember, remember, ladies and gentlemen, that we, despite our pain, despite our affliction, despite our grief, must not contend with the Almighty. He is God and we are not. God is in control. When we grieve, remember this great, powerful, and awesome God. Yes, life may have dealt you a terrible, awful, miserable hand. Things in your life may seem like they will never get better. Day after day after day after day you grieve. 
Month after month after month, things don't get better. Year after year after year, your life continues to fall apart. That may be the case. But if if it is the case, you still have reason to rejoice. Because you and I both know that without the matchless love of God that sent His Son into this earth to suffer, to die, and to rise for us, things in our lives could be a million times worse. Without the matchless love of God, all of us would be eternally lost in sin. So it doesn't matter whether your life is the worst thing imaginable. You can bask in the love of God that we will never, ever, ever, ever be separated from. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse number 35, the Apostle Paul talks about this love that we can never be stripped from. He says, who will separate us? Who will take us away from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress, or peril, or nakedness, or sword. Just as it is written, for for our sake, we are being slaughtered all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But through all of these things, through whatever happens to us on this side of heaven, Paul says that we are overwhelmingly conquerors. We are more than conquerors through who? Him that loves us. Paul says that he's persuaded, or he's convinced that neither death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nothing in all of creation, nothing on this side of heaven, nothing that is physical, nothing that will be destroyed, will ever be able to separate us from our eternal God. I love each and every one of you. God loves each and every one of you. And if you're going through something that is very, very difficult, joy will come. Joy will come in the morning. Weeping may go on at night, but joy comes in the morning. Though our strength may fail, though our flesh may fail, the Lord will always and forever be the rock of our heart. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the perfect opportunity to become one. You do that by hearing the word of God, believing that Jesus Christ is his son, believing that God sent Christ to this earth to suffer and to die and to rise for you. Repent of your sins. Confess that you believe that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and you can have your sins completely washed away in the watery grave of baptism, rising forth, walking in newness of life. If you've done that before, but you've made mistakes and you've fallen away, and you would like to make things right this morning, we ask that you please come to the front while we stand.